Hey folks, Steve Lewis here. Welcome to Relevance for today. I've got a great show, a special show, a powerful show. Going to be speaking with a great man of God, a good friend of mine, Pastor Jamie Hargett. Stay tuned, folks. This is a powerful one. Okay, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm excited. I can't tell you how excited I am to have Pastor Jamie Hargett on the show. I've known Jamie for over 23, 24 years. He has a testimony. Let me tell you, I'm going to keep my mouth shut as much as I can, try not to cry too much, but the message that he has to share about his life is powerful, folks. Stay tuned. Stay involved in listening to this message. Hey, Pastor Jamie Hargett. Jamie, it's good to have you here, brother. Oh, it's such a blessing to be with you, brother Steve. And I just a great fan of yours, and uh, I love you. Love you like a brother brother in Christ. Love you, too. I'd like to say thank you for everyone who takes time to listen today, that God would surely bless them, and and that, um, that somehow... Everything I've gone through would make a difference in something they're going through. Yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. It, uh, you guys have no idea. I've seen Jamie Hargett when he was at his lowest and seeing him now as a mighty vessel, a mighty man of God, it just blows me away. I, I see him speaking online and it just about gives me goosebumps. In fact, the man's made me cry a couple times and he didn't even know it. So, Jamie, we're going to start. <laughs> yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's when we know we've really got him where it counts, right? When the teardrops start flowing, we know the Lord's using us to reach the hearts. So, the Holy Spirit, yeah. Yes. Amen. That's right. That's what it's all about. Jamie is on fire for the Lord, folks. Let me tell you. Not me tell you. He's going to tell you. So, Jamie, let's start from the beginning. Where, where were you born? Well, I, w- I was born in Missouri, mm-hmm. and uh, I was born in Columbia, Missouri, June 6, 1971, to a 13-year-old mother. Wow. Who fought very hard to make sure that she could keep her baby in spite of all the obstacles, in spite of all of the uh, people that said, you know, you can't have a baby, you're just a kid. And she actually had to go away for two or three months in a, in a home for unwed young mothers. But she was determined that I was going to live and praise God by yeah. the glory of God and his grace. Her and I grew up together, if you might say, but she was a wonderful woman and the best part of who I am comes from my mom. She went to be with the Lord <clears throat> when she was uh, 43 years old. And, um, the best part of who I am, some of the things that are really um, important about me and the things I've known and seen in life when I was young was I had a beautiful childhood and it was because I uh, had a 13 year old mother who fought that I could live. Wow. And also it says a lot about my family and my grandmother who, Mm -hmm was determined that this boy is going to, you know, we're not going to, um, I never felt rejected by my family, but I know there was great turmoil and strife as you can imagine, Steve. Yeah. But that was amazing. Uh, when I look back on it now, I didn't see the significance of it growing up, but God had a plan for my life. And, uh, although I went through many struggles growing up with a young mom, uh, I never felt unloved, and, mm. I, and for me, it was life, hallelujah, so praise God for life. Brother. Yes, yes, yeah, I didn't know that she was 13. Wow. Yes, sir. You know, I was blessed to meet her, though, One wonderful mother. Yeah, just a wonderful lady, and um, she had liver cancer. She had contracted uh, hepatitis C in the Army as a, a paramedic. But she was a groundbreaking woman and um, was actually in the combat unit in 1976. And they weren't even allowing women to do that then. Wow. And, uh, you know, and served in the military off and on in the National Guard. But uh, we, we 
had quite an adventure, her and I, while we were together on earth. Hallelujah. So (laughs) one of the things, Steve, when we touch on that, that I think is amazing, my great-great-grandmother, my great-grandmother, excuse me, uh, Sarah Tennessee Goff was a holy roller. (laughs) I mean, holiness, old-time Pentecostal lady. Old-time religion. Yeah, with the you know had her hair done the way they did, and I mean she was a, um, a hellfire brimstone believer, mm. and in a day and age in the in the seventies and things when sixties and seventies when that probably wasn't as uh, popular as as most people. So, um, but my mother was sitting at her table and was 13 years old, pregnant with me, and she prophesied, that boy will be the preacher. Really? And they didn't even know, back then you didn't know, you didn't have uh, ultrasounds to know what the baby was. Right. She prophesied that I'd be a boy, and that I'd be a preacher, and that I would also be uh, born with a veil, and then it would be black, and the darker that it was, the more I'd have to go through. But if I, but the Lord would see me through it, and I would come out the other side stronger. Mm. Well, a veil in uh, childbirth is an extra membrane of skin mm-hmm. that is over the face, and when you're born, they just peel it off. Right. And my veil was black. Really. And so everything that she prophesied came true. Wow. And my grandmother, Catherine Larson, remembered all these things. Mm -hmm. And in the midst of all my struggles and turmoil and strife and my mistakes, Mm. she would tell people against all odds, that boy's going to, that man's going to be a preacher. Wow. And people would look at her and say, Catherine, we love you, but you're, (laughs) you're crazy. And glory to God, I didn't do it while I while she was alive, but I've done it now. Yeah, Hallelujah, God fulfilled mm. his word, Steve. Man. And it, it's rather amazing. I don't tell that to a lot of people, but against all odds and against everything that conventional wisdom says, the, the illegitimate son of a 13-year-old woman, was prophesied to be a man of God and against all the odds of what the devil stacked against me. Yes. God saw it through and it's incredible. That was a hefty stack. It was, it was. And then the things that I took up along the way, Mm. um, might as well have been chains around my neck and around my life. Yeah. That the enemy had planned to keep that prophecy from coming true because he knew but what the Lord, what the Lord planned for me to go through that darkness, just like my grand great grandmother said, was so that when I got to where I am now, mm. you can't say you don't know what I'm going through, preacher, because I've been through it, brother. Oh mercy! I've been through the fire. Yeah, and I know and I understand, and I know how hard it is, and I know that some of the best laid plans get blown up in smoke. But it doesn't mean that there's not a way back because Amen. as long as that scarlet cord is hanging out of the window, yes, if you yes. Reach it and grab hold of it, Jesus will pull you up. That's right, and He will. He did me, and I can tell you, it's all true. It's all real. It is. I didn't come from it from a religious background. I come from a sinner's uh, desperate hour, mm. and uh, I started out. Like you said, with the cards stacked against me, but if God is for us, what can be against Amen. us? Amen. You had a praying, you had some praying relatives. Amen. You know, yes, sir, my grandmother prayed me through, brother. Yeah. And one thing I like to share with people too is, you know, Satan only has but so much power. He doesn't know exactly what assignment we have on our life, but he does know what we're capable of when we come to Christ. And that's his Amen. biggest fear is to have multiple signs of Jesus flowing around everywhere by the mul- by the millions. And so his goal is to steal, kill and destroy, whereas God knows the end result. 
And, and that's so important. You know, we're looking at Jamie's life, you know, growing up. I mean, how was, how was high school? How was high school life for you? Well, I'll tell you, uh, growing up, we moved around. I never went to the same school two years in a row. Oh, wow. Until I was um, a freshman. Mm -hmm. And uh, some years we moved twice a year. Um, my stepdad was in the um, in the oil field, so we would go back and forth from Kansas City to South Texas. And then we would move around many times. Um, so I was an overweight kid mm -hmm. and um, <clears throat> had long hair because we were, we were, I grew up with, um, you know, a yard full of choppers. I grew up in, yes. and uh, my family was involved in, in motorcycle clubs. And oh, uh, boy. <laughs> so here I have long hair and we're moving around in South Texas. And you know what I mean? So, uh, but I had excellent grades mm -hmm. and I had excellent work ethic. So I always had, I was always in like a advanced child program. Oh, okay. So when I got to high school, I was, um, I had kind of come out of that, that style of being and I was a I was a wore very preppy clothes and I was you know a great student and an athlete mm -hmm. and um was really bound I thought I was going to be a lawyer Steve so I, I thought well I'm going to be a lawyer <laughs> and uh I was great good, good football player I don't know about great but I was good mm -hmm. and I enjoyed you know the team it uh I was alive for the team and because of some of the coaches that took me under their wing. Nice. And so we lived in a nice home and we're building a good life for ourselves. And then, and then, uh, in the midst of it all, uh, some things come into my mom's life and, uh, my stepdad's life and a lot of things that come into a lot of kids' lives in their seventies and eighties. Mm. And, you know, uh, things that shouldn't have been. Yeah. And those, that nightlife started to creep into our, our whole life. Mm -hmm. And we lost a five bedroom house and, uh, went from, uh, where I was going to, you know, I was captain of the varsity. I was going to be captain of the varsity defense. And I'll never forget Steve, a turning point in my life. Mm -hmm. I was, a I was going in my sophomore year and my parents, my mom and my stepdad got a divorce and it really got ugly. We ended up out of the home mm. and, uh, they were, there was things going on that uh, I had been shielded from that were now right in front of me. Oh, wow. And, uh, and it was like, I was watching my mom do things that I'd never thought she did, but it didn't, you know, would do. And mm -hmm. I was watching the whole thing blow up and, and burn down and, and uh, then started, uh, you know, experimenting with things going, you know, in life. And I want to tell you, there was a, a pivotal moment in my life and I didn't show up for uh, my sophomore year of football. And I'd been there, you know, all along through seventh grade and everything in my hometown of Windsor, Missouri, where we met. Mm -hmm. And I knew everything was going wrong and I'd started to uh, drink and, uh, and I'd started to experiment with, with, uh, Different marijuana drugs. and other stuff. I yeah. mean, it was the eighties, that stuff was everywhere. It was pretty common. And right. so, but I didn't show up for practice and we were standing in this apartment that was basically just a place we didn't even have any furniture in there because we'd been, we, you know, mom and I left this five bedroom home. We, we'd all worked for my stepdad, mm. everything just went just like that it just come apart and in that summer i went from you know really up and coming in the speech drama club debate you know latin club i was excelling was going to you know just really shooting for the stars right to just party 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 mm. And my coach sent me a letter, and I'll never forget this turning point in my life. And mm -hmm. I look back on it now, and I didn't understand the significance of it then. But he said, Jamie, we know that your family is going through some things. And we know that uh, you're having a hard time. Mm -hmm. And we know that last year you didn't get to play as much as we, you thought you should have. But if you'll come back 
and start practice now. We'll waive the, the what you missed because I missed two a days. Mm-hmm. And he said, we'll just start you right in and we'll make you uh, captain of the varsity defense. You've earned that spot. Oh, wow. And he said, if you'll come, um, if you need to, Coach Rhodes, very wonderful man, a big inspiration in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really had an impact on my life and and showed me as a heavy set kid I could do more than I ever thought I could do right. in uh, football. You know, some of those two a days, Steve. You know how they push you. You find out who you're made, what you're made of. Yes. Yeah, you know, in ways you'd never find out any other way. And um, he he said, you know, Coach Rhodes will let you come and stay at his house. He has a room in the basement until your family gets it worked out and he'll help you to go to school and things. Wow. And me and my best friends, there was four of us. We were always together then. Mm-hmm. We were all living this life, you know, where we were headed the wrong road. And they looked at me and they said, do it, Jamie. Go back to football. You're the, only, you're the one who can get out of this. Wow. We can't. They, they were in, you know, they weren't making good grades. They didn't. They all copied my homework. <laughs> you know, I got, I got half of the Windsor High School. <laughs> Some of the guys through school, you know, I eventually started charging them uh, money because I'd like, you guys have to learn something. Yeah. You can't even, you know, you're not even trying anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were just kids. We loved, you know, loved each other, man. And, um, yeah. And we had just iced down in a bathtub full of beer. We had about eight cases of beer in there. We had about five bottles of whiskey. Wow. And it was Friday night. And I took that letter and I crumbled it up and threw it in the trash can. And I said, Give me a beer. Oh. And that set a course for 25 years of my life. Wow. That if not for the grace of God, I wouldn't have made it out alive. Right. And it was within a year we were living in a, um, we, it got so bad that we took off in an old beat up car and went to Houston, Texas Mm -hmm. and, uh, basically lost our home, lost everything. I was about to be taken away from my mom. She was having Mm. trouble that my stepdad had took off. And we, uh, we was out of school, and the next thing you know, I'm living in Houston, Texas at my aunt's house. I'm running the street. I'm learning how to sell weed on the street to make us money to live. Right. And I went from going to be a lawyer to within a year, you know, running the streets in Houston, trying to find a way to mm. get this out of this situation we were in. Right. And praise God for my aunt and my uncle who gave us a safe place to land because mm-hmm. we didn't have anywhere to go. And, um, there was real blessings in that time, but it set a course for my life. Mm. And uh, I'll never forget the transition because I really had great dreams and aspirations. Right. But I want to say this, Brother Steve, the Lord showed me. I was a great debater. I was a great, I, w- I really would have, I understood the law. And for years later, I understood it because I was always trying to beat the law. <laughs> hey, man. Right. Yep. I hear you. But now the Lord says, you are a lawyer. Mm. You're pleading the case of the guilty yes. before the judge and asking for innocence. Yes. That's and beautiful. I am fighting in the courts of heaven today, mm. trying to get people before the, the judges, as many as I can to yeah. say, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over this Amen. life. They don't, they, they plead guilty. Mm-hmm. We're all guilty. Yeah. I did it. I chose a life of, mm. you know, I, I had, I didn't have a lot of choices in what was going on, but I made that choice that day and it may have took God a long time and a series of tragic events to get me back, mm. but he did. Yes. So wherever you're at right now, whatever mm. you're facing, God is bigger than that. Mm-hmm. God can do what, what seems impossible to you right now. Yes, he can. Don't give up. Don't give up on your hope, on your dreams, on your aspirations. Don't give up on sobriety. Don't give up on the struggle. Don't give up on fighting and believing that God has better things for you. Mm. I don't care what it looks like right now because in those days I didn't see, I didn't know 
I, I was watching my mother fall apart. Mm. I watched the family that I love break up. I have made re really contacted with my stepbrother and, and my stepdad, but, uh, you know, we were estranged and then, uh, it set a pattern of events that unfolded and, um, don't give up where you're at. Don't give up on your son or daughter. Yeah, that's Don't right. give up on that grandchild. Keep praying for them because mm-hmm. God's power is bigger than the circumstances that they are in. Amen. You know, that's, that's the perfect time to bring in where we met. And, yes, sir. you know, your little brother, Max, Max Passantina. We were, uh, I was helping out with my dad. They were doing a ministry in Windsor. And they were setting up like a youth program and somebody had donated a couple arcade machines. And, you know, the whole purpose behind this was kids were going to be able to come in after school, have a place to go and connect with people in ministry and have some role models. And so the couple times I went to help supervise, I noticed this blonde haired little kid playing the machines every time. And I thought, what's that kid's story? And he goes, well, he didn't have a father at home, single mom. They're just trying to make ends meet. And one thing led to another. And the way Barb and I are is we truly believe in reaching out and helping others. And Samantha and Andrew, my son and daughter, they also know how mom and dad are. So we pretty much take take someone in as a family. And so we took Max in as if he was our son, as if he was the kid's brother and a brother to them. And uh, we started bonding with their family. And he was just a part of our family, period. You know, we went clothes shop and we bought extra clothes for Max. Max would come over and play and they would ride bikes and do all kinds of fun stuff together and really built a relationship. And that's when I met his older brother, Jamie Hargett. And... Just had a heart for you, you know. You yeah. you came up to me and you couldn't thank me enough for taking your little brother in under our wing. And uh, I made sure when I'd see Jamie Hargett, I'd see how he was doing. I'd treat him like anybody on the street, just love on them, and uh, talk to you about Jesus every once in a while. And you kind of smiled and laughed it off, and oh yeah, brother. Kept on going your way, and uh, I remember we brought food to you folks. They've brought food to you, and I had given you a Bible once, and, uh, you know, I just, I never knew. Now, explain to me, because I'm the guy that's reaching out to you in love, but I never knew what was going through your mind. So what was going through your mind when you would see me, or I would approach you, or bringing food or giving you a Bible and talking about Jesus for a few minutes. I want to hear what well, I, want, I want to tell you that, uh, you know, cause you're the, um, I'm the prodigal and you're the brother that stayed home. Hallelujah. Mm. And the brothers that stayed home, I think they sometimes get a rat, a bad rap in that story because all it mentions is his initial reaction, right? The jealousy side. And if, if not for the brother that stays home, the prodigal doesn't have anywhere to come back to the lost son, because it was the older brother who kept everything going and mm, held the line. That's true. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of people who are using, and I was using, I was using hard stuff. I was all in. I was going 90 to nothing. You know, I was uh, uh, the 80s hard rocker party, 90s, you know. Ride or die. But I was a good person. Yes. And a lot of people need to understand that. Mm -hmm. that, um, Many times, you know, if we let the sin define the person, then we're all rotten people. Yes. There are people who are struggling with addiction, struggling with where they were brought up. Yeah, struggling with this and that, and a brother like Steve comes along and helps my little brother. I should have been there more for my little brother and my mom. My mom was sick; uh, she had her, you know, her that hepatitis C had really come on her, mm. and but also I was uh, I was off to the races. I was living my life. I was single. I was young. I was free. 
and I was just out doing the, you know, I'm a rock star thing. <laughs> and I knew my little brother needed more. Mm. And I'll be honest with you. Many times when I'd go around him, I shouldn't have been, I wasn't, I didn't want to be his influence. I didn't want him to end up like me. And so when I saw that he had a godly influence and I saw a genuine man, uh, you know, a genuine person, Mm. one thing that I did, Steve, when I, you know, I could tell, I could tell when you live that life, you have to be able to read people because they'll either going to, they're either going to set you up, snitch you out. They're going to stab you in the back or they're going to be, they're real people. Right. And I could tell that from good Christian people too. And and I knew, Hey, this guy's genuine. He's not just, he's not, then there's no, he doesn't have any ulterior motives for helping my brother other than he's a good man who wants to help my brother. Mm. And I knew my little brother needed help. I knew my mom needed help. And since then I've repented and asked God to, to help me because there was a lot of years there that I can't make up. And, um, I wish I'd have done it differently, but you had a huge impact on my little brother. And mm. when my mom went to be with the Lord, yeah, I had my brother and, uh, I wasn't doing good in my life. I was, I was spelling up. I fell apart because it was a hard set of circumstances that my mom lived, her and I, yeah. Break you know, I had deep depression yeah. from that and I slipped into a deep bout of depression and I wasn't doing good. And these were the bright spots when, when, you know, Max got to go and be with Steve and, and Barb and the kids because mm. he got to be around a positive man who was doing good and didn't, you know, he didn't see all the suffering that he had to grow up with. Right. And when I would hear you say about Jesus, I knew I needed Jesus. But I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't know Jesus the way I. You know, I wish people could know Him. It's a catchphrase that, but those seeds mm. were still light in the dark for me. Mm. Don't ever, don't ever doubt what you're saying to somebody, Steve, when you're serving, because you, the way that you treated me, I knew that I was. You know. People looked at me like people would grab their kids and pull them close to them when you'd go by in the Walmart <laughs> and things. You know, and I, and I was that person, but I wasn't that person inside. Right. I never felt that I that way whenever we would meet. And, and I knew that my little brother didn't feel like a kid who was stuck when he met you guys. Yeah. And so glory to God, you don't know brothers and sisters who are listening. Mm. But just being the hands and feet of Jesus, Jesus is a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. And this brother, here's a, here's a man, here I am, you know, look like a guy who is out of a movie script, but here's Steve in Windsor, Missouri, this, you know, huge black dude <laughs> that was, you know, the best guy you ever met. Everybody who ever met him, mm. I don't know anybody who's ever said a bad word. And I think if I did know anybody that said a bad word, there'd be about 50 people who would be quick to say you're wrong. Mm. And uh, my dad, you know, we, everybody loved you guys and knew that you were, you were trying to help. Yeah. You were making a difference in Windsor and made an impact while you were there and praise God, because my little brother, Mm. when he needed, when he needed a light, and it whenever because my mom was really sick, yeah, she couldn't she help. Really she was. was sick. Her liver was failing, and um, his brother was running wild. Mm. And here he was, and here comes a gentle, uh, a man who and his kids were so welcoming, and mm-hmm. Max felt like he belonged. I can't tell you what that did, uh, mm. and I appreciated it. So when you told me about Jesus. I knew I needed Jesus, but I was, I just wasn't, I didn't think that, uh, I didn't think that it was time yet. I was just running. I was running and, um, mm. you know, something steep sometimes that's the way I grew up. Yeah. So I didn't feel like we were really doing anything that bad. 
didn't have the consequences of it all eventually, you know, caught up to me. But uh, praise God for the witnesses like you that mm. made me feel like, hey, there is still hope for me. Love. Yep. Just show you yeah, the love. love, man. I just wanted to love on you. You know, I'd look over at Jamie Hargett. You said some things to me, which <laughs> is the one time. Uh, one time Jamie came over. I think it was, it might have been around the time of the funeral. and uh, Or maybe it was before the funeral. But Jamie Hargett walked up to me and he pulled me aside and he said, Listen, Steve, and I mean this, what I'm saying to you now. And I said, Okay. And he said, If anybody bothers you, anybody you let me know. I don't care what it is. You let me know. You hear me? And I started laughing because I was like, what is he trying to tell me? And he looked at me and he says, I'm serious. Anything, anybody bother you, you let me know. And I was like, all right, man, I will. And uh, he had a look in his eye like he would take care of business. And what's cool about it now, I like to look at him as Saul, who's also known as Paul, the apostle, because Saul was hungry. He was like a dog on a bone. He would take care of business no matter what. Even before he came to Christ, he looked at what his religion was, and he believed what he was doing was was for the Lord. And once he was blinded on the road to Damascus, his life changed. But with Jamie... You know, same thing. I'd see you guys like at your mom's funeral and the Hargett family showed up. I didn't know you guys were that deep, were that big of a family. And the motorcycles started pulling up and the leather jackets and and the whole nine yards and people I didn't know were coming up to me saying, thank you for what you do for my my little cousin. And and it just blew my mind, the love. And uh, no, so, man, so after that... Uh, things took a turn for you. Well, what happened, and I want to touch on one thing. Yeah, sure. One thing about Saul. Saul means great. Paul means little. And when God humbled Saul, Mm. made him blind and helpless, Mm -hmm. and he was wrecked, that's when he was able to be helped. Amen. And that's what God was about to do for me. Mm. So through unexpected circumstances, and I went into a deep depression when my mom died, and uh, had, I would just be honest, I had a nervous breakdown because of some circumstances. When she, when cancer came upon her, it come quickly, and they diagnosed her uh, with a biopsy, and she was gone within 12 days. And mm. um, it got so bad that I had to carry her to the car. Well, my fiancé was pregnant with with my first son and uh, we fell madly in love mm. and she was a beautiful woman. Um, her name was Teresa. Yeah. Teresa. And, uh, here mom passes away right before James is born. My oldest son mm-hmm. and Max is maybe 12. And mm. so, but when it happened, I had to carry her to the car and literally pick her up and carry her. And we spent 12 days in the hospital and the Lord took her, and uh, she was saved. She had settled all her debts. Mm. She actually it was listening to a man in um, Clinton, Missouri, over the radio. And Max told me about that and said, you know, Mom, listen to him every week. And that man, that pastor, actually come and did her service, even though he didn't know her. Mm. And I told him, you know, you had made an impact on my mom, and she'd been saved. So during that time... Max's dad, who had been estranged in his life through different circumstances, and not all of it was his fault, appeared suddenly. Mm-hmm. I got a I got a notice to to appear at the courthouse. Uh, I got on Saturday to appear Monday and hand Max over. Mm-hmm. And uh, his dad was here, and he they'd done all these things in the court, and I didn't even know about it. And I was about to get guardianship of Max. The next week, I'd filed so that I could put him, keep him in school, and he could live with me and Teresa. So here, my mom passes. Then, um, then Max gets taken. Mm. So that took a mighty toll on me, and and um, I began to spiral out of control. And for about five years, brother, 
I just had this this whole sucking the life out of me. And what was really uh, hard about it, I was using heavy uh, narcotics. Yeah. And what stunk was I had this beautiful woman that I loved, and I had this young son, and I was trapped in this depression, this darkness that was consuming me. And, I mean, um, it was a little breakdown. There was a time where I was staying in this grocery store. I got lost, and I was looking for directions. And uh, when I had picked Mom up the night before she passed, she was, she was saying, wait. And I walked into the store, and I began to hear it over the loudspeaker. And then I seen a little uh, child in a cart look at me and said, wait, wait. And it just crushed me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was really battling this season of my life. And we were getting ready for James's fifth birthday. And it, it just, like, come over me. And I said, Lord, it's been five years. I can't keep doing this. This boy needs me because my little boy, James, Mm. never stopped loving his dad or fighting for him. Wow. He would come and sit by me and I would have good, good runs where I'd be doing great and working and everything. And then I'd get off into these bad seasons. You know what I mean, Steve? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And so I was doing my, I was fighting it. But it was just had a hold of me this time in my life. And this little boy gave me a reason, him and Teresa gave me a reason to keep going. And uh, I prayed to the Lord that night. I said, Lord, I'm not, I have got to come out of this. I don't know how to do it. And I can't do it. I need you. Mm. And you know what's something, Steve? I woke up the next morning and that hole in my chest was gone. Mm. That black That's cloud God. over me was gone. I'll never forget it. I wish I'd have run to the Lord then, but to be honest with you, I knew that it was God and I was grateful, but I was, I had so many things in my life that I had been doing so long Mm. that I couldn't, um, it was going to take a miracle to get me clean and sober. Yeah. But I had a friend who came by, we moved to another place. James started kindergarten, and uh, it was around this time, not long after that, Max came back for a visit, and we mm-hmm. had a great time, and, and his dad his dad, towed the line for Max, and I'm gra- glad that Max got to yes. go out and be- see the world, mm-hmm. see America. They moved to some good places, and he got out of the situation watching me fall apart and just getting stuck. Yeah. So I want to say that right now before I forget, because his dad's name is Pete, and he did a good job and Max also got to be around some other parts of the family that were in other parts of the of America that were living good and so it was a good thing that happened to Max and um, Max is doing great Mm -hmm. he's got a baby he's got a beautiful wife he's got a great job (laughs) I want to tell you that God came through and answered my mom's prayers for me and him yeah. So I don't want that part of the story to definitely end without me telling you that Max, Max turned out to be a good man. We love and you, God Max. really has used him and blessed him. Yes. Yeah, I want to insert something, too, because during that breakdown, before we moved and went to Maine, you came to my house when you were at a low point. And, yeah, uh, I was. You know, there was a knock at the door. Barb said it was Jamie. I let him in. We sat down on the couch together, and he had a CD in his hand, and he was broken. And Jamie just looked at me, and he said, I don't think I have many days left to live. I think I'm dying. And uh, you said you're coughing up black stuff, and you had mentioned you had the soft spot on your skull, and... You handed me a CD and said, can you do me a favor when I die? Can you play this at my funeral? And it's true. Yeah, it was uh, it was a heartfelt moment. And I know I prayed for you because I wasn't going to sit there and accept that. That spot on my head, I I still can't explain it to this day. Several people felt it. It was about the size of an egg, and it was soft above my skull. Mm -hmm. And I was sick. Yeah. I don't know what how God how God turned that around. But well, Barb, I, you know, prayers, brother. Prayers. Yeah, prayers. And Barb said something this morning. She said, "Make sure I mention this in this interview." She said, "You tell Jamie 
Jamie was planning for a physical death, but God was planning for a spiritual birth. Hallelujah. Isn't that beautiful? It the, is. the old man Barth, was passing Barth's away. Beautiful, beautiful human being. And yes. Beautiful woman inside now. Yep, she is. And she wanted me to and share you that. Know, the, your ability, your family's ability to see people for uh, how God sees them mm-hmm. and not how they appear yes. in life. Uh, we were a hard group. We were, we were, <laughs> you know, we were what your parents warned you about. I mean, you, you know, here come the hargets. We weren't, uh, we weren't going out and um, coming after innocent people, right? Or victimizing, you know, people, or doing all these things that a lot of people think people do. It's just who we were, right? And it was the times that we were in. But, and then also to know that. Um, you know, that you, when you have the heart of the Father the way that you do, Steve, and the way that, you know, God's people should, mm-hmm. you look at people with the Father's eyes. Yes. The Father, when that woman burst into the room and he's having a meeting with the with the big, the big time priests of the day, and here comes in this woman, that yes. everybody knew what kind of woman she was, mm-hmm. and he threw himself down at her feet. And began to cry and kiss his feet. I mean, it was quite a spectacle. Yeah. But the Lord said, look, man, this is how everybody should come to me. Yeah. And because of, in Jesus' eyes, she, he said, woman, your sins are forgiven. Yes. You don't know what that uplifting, encouraging, mm. loving, my grandmother, Catherine Larson. Yeah, wonderful woman. Loved me through and prayed for me. She did. When everybody had written me off for years. She shed some tears. And, uh, because she was, she knew I needed it. Mm-hmm. And um, there would be times I'd, I'd come and, you know, I wouldn't see her for a long time. I'd come from home, come around. I'd stay to her place. And um, because it was the only safe place I had to land where I could actually, you know, have peace and um hmm. i never felt like here was this blankety blank you know blank all these labels put people put on right to me here was here was this person i love and it never she never looked at me weird she never made me feel weird she would tell me you know that i needed to get right by the lord yeah. and would talk to me about the lord and growing up she read to me out of this bible story book that uh, was in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Mm, yes. And she she read that to me faithfully every time that I asked her to, because growing up as a kid, as a kid, I was the I was really the uh, I was you know extremely intelligent. Was everybody loved me? I was the nicest kid in high school. Right. I was going to be a star, and then here's this dark turn. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It was, of all the people that they thought this would happen to, I was the last one. Right. And it was like the most, you know, here's this, here's this bright shining star in the family that just crashed and burned right in front of everybody. Yep. And she refused to let that happen. She refused to say that's the end of it. That's right. And And that was hard because a lot of people did. So... You know, here, that foundation of faith, I want to tell you something, Steve. I have that same book that she read to me. It was it was given to me by my Aunt Penny, who mm. also will have an impact on my life later, I'll tell you. Yeah. And I've read that to my kids and, and um, twice, front to back. So, you know, isn't it amazing how the seeds that God plants, we think that they're dormant. But yep. in due season, we get our meat in due season. The bud blooms, and yes. God's, what God puts in us will will produce a harvest yep. if we'll give it back to Him. That's right. And, and if we don't give up. And I want to say thank you that uh, you know during those seasons of times what you did for our family. Yeah. And I want to honor my uh, grandmother Catherine and, yes. and everybody else out there because I don't want to paint a picture that shows me just as this broken human being because up to this point i was kind of a superstar in the <laughs> in the world i don't mean to sound it like that but nope. i was loved by everybody yeah i was you know i was fun to be around i was the mm-hmm. man you know and um 
And I, I, up to a certain point, you know, I had a bright future ahead of me. And then, then I hit this dark place and I began to wonder if I'd ever make it out of it. Yeah. At one point people would ask me, you know, are you, do you have cancer? Do you have AIDS? Mm. What's wrong with you? You know, because I'm, I'm about 290 right now. And I'm a little big, but 270 is where I've always been. And I was down to 185 pounds and was just, you know, I, I was just lost. And um, mm. I get to this season where I had actually hurt my shoulder in a bike wreck and crushed it. So I, I had a lot of injuries growing up. When I was 16, I fell off a deck and, and broke my back. When I was 19, I was in a terrible car wreck that, mm -hmm. that broke my leg. My uh, right femur was broke so bad that I was on crutches from 20 till 25. Wow. And I had to have rod insertion in my leg, and I had to have three bone grafts on it from my hip. And then the rod had been in there so long that they had to pull that out Jeez, and whiz. break my hip because it had been bent from years of you know being in there. Mm -hmm. Well, then there's all this setback. And then again, I crushed my shoulder. I got my hands crushed in a machine at a press where at a job where I worked. And I'm going over a lot of stuff right now, but it, it sets a pattern. It was overcoming something all the time in my life. You yeah. know what I mean, Steve? Yep. I get rolling along. And like when I fell off that deck, I was 16. You know, it crushed two vertebrae in my back. It, it uh, compound fractured them. It made them smush. Well, then I got recovered from that. That was a prime, man. You know, all my friends are running around here. I'm getting bone grafts and walking on crutches, but I kept going, and I went to college during that time and got a, a degree in machine tool technology. Yeah. And then here would come another setback, and I got my hands crushed in a machine. And then... Mm. Here's another here, you know, I'm going along good and I'm starting to come out of this. And during that depressed time, I got in a bike wreck and it crushed my shoulder. I had hit the brakes. I was doing about 40 miles an hour on a mountain bike and mm. flipped it. And I hit my shoulder and I knew I'd messed it up bad. Yeah. So I had to have surgery. Um, so I got into this place where I went from being strong Barrel popular. I was, you know, had money. I was working. I was, you know, had to had the life according to what the world says. The world, life, yes. To this broken down, crippled up person, and praise God for Teresa who never gave up on me in spite of all of my weaknesses. Yeah. And you know, she was sticking by me. And James gave me a reason to want to keep trying. Yeah. And. You know, my addictions have become serious and um, here comes one morning. It was it was a cold morning. Out of nowhere, here comes a, a friend of mine knocking on the door and his name was um, his name was Chad. I won't say his last name so I don't have permission, but I grew up playing football with this friend mm -hmm. and you know he remembered me, you know, from who I was, who I was going to be. Right. And he shows up at my house, Steve, out of nowhere and says, you want to go to work? Well, he'd worked me a little bit here and there before um, helping him with, you know, feeding cows and stuff. And mm -hmm. I'm like, sure, when do you want to go? He's like, right now. And I said, what? You know, well, I'm not a shit, but, <laughs> you know, I'd become weak from that right, I hadn't worked in two years. Yep. I'd gotten depressed. I'd gotten let, you know, mm -hmm. I'd gotten in a place where, and I said, well, I don't have any boots or, you know, I don't, I don't know. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any coveralls. He said, I'll buy you some. Well, he poured concrete and they did basement walls. And um, he wouldn't take no for an answer. And waited for me. He said, well, we'll wait for you. Wow. And uh, I'm like, what? You know, well, I was trying to get out of it. And there's something in me that just said, you got to go. Mm -hmm. And so here's a lifeline. Take it. And um, and I went to work for Chad and uh, the crew and everybody. And they, they knew where I was at in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that job was the uh, place where I started to build back up. 
And even though I still had these problems in my private life where I was struggling, you know, with um, being accountable and being clean and sober and this and that, Chad stuck with me. And um, that first day, I can't remember how many of those concrete panels that I uh, lifted, but they let me do all of them because they wanted to see, you know, is this right. guy, you know, yeah. they knew that it was, that I was having a heck of a time, mm-hmm. but you know, that they, it was a project for this friend of mine and his family. And he'd come and I, you know, I don't know who all told him to go get him, but, but he decided that I'm not going to watch this. You know, my friends, gonna, I'm going to come back and get this guy. Nice. And by that summer, I'd gotten back in shape. I was showing up for a job. I was getting some of my um, integrity back. And, you know, mm-hmm. just being out of the gloom and doom, I was beginning to learn how to work again and being accountable to people. And um, I'm going to tell you something. Chad, Chad walked into my life as an angel because uh, that was where things, it was a long road back, but mm. it began to be a road. There was something there I could begin to walk on. Yes. And there come a point, Steve, where that summer he had bought 17 longhorn cattle. And they were all long, I mean, longhorn cows. And I mean, some of them had some huge horns. Yeah, Texas longhorns. Come on, we're going to uh, cut these cows so they can get their head in the bell ring and we can feed them. And I'm like, what? What do you mean, you know? <laughs> but long story short, we got to get them in the chute. Well, by the time you get a cow with with five-foot horns in a chute, she's banging on those. It's making a lot of noise. She's scared to death. Mm. And then you get them in the chute, and then you have to put, you have to hold on to their, um, you get this little clamp, and you hold on to their nose so you can hold them still while you cut their horns off because the horns won't allow them to reach down in the feed bunk. Right. It makes them hard for them to eat, yeah. especially when you, you know, in the, in the wintertime when you're trying to feed cows. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, the first one hit me in the jaw, and I thought, this isn't a game. You know, these things, they're, <laughs> they're serious, you know, because they're kind of gamey animals. Right. they got we, some muscle on them. We faced down 17 of them that day, and... and and I'll never forget walking away from there. I picked up two of the longest horns, and I I began to feel like there was hope for me. Mm. I'd faced down something that seemed impossible. These cows were serious. I had my friend who whose life was, you know, I couldn't mess around there. I had right. to be accountable. We had to face this thing and do it. Yeah. And I know a lot of people, listeners, would think, well, that's cruel to do that to cows, but they weren't hurt in any way. These men, he had a lot of money in these animals, and we wanted to protect them and make sure that they were able to eat without being, you know, their horns caught and everything. Right. But I faced this moment, and I don't know how to explain it, brother, but I found myself again. I found, I believed, I began to believe in myself that I could be something yes. again. And you know something, Steve, years went by and a turn of events happened. So here I was, we, we faced down and I began to work. Mm. And then I went from there and I got another job at a um, concrete Uh, doing concrete on the Air Force Base near us. Oh, yeah. And uh, my wife was working, and things were really beginning to look up for us. And I ended up getting this job at a place that was a foundry, a steel mill. And I'd done, it was an aluminum foundry in Warrensburg, Missouri, called Stahl's. Mm -hmm. And it was a great job. And I got this job. And it was, we were actually looking at this house, maybe to buy this little white house. And we had gotten things out of our life that were really hard. And our, our relationship was getting really strong. We were both working. We were both doing Mm. great. And we had a little boy named Jesse along the way. And it looked like, you know, we're going to make it out of this. And we cut out some of the, the things that were really bad in our lives. And we were building a family life. We went to go to another town to get check on something. I went around this old car. There was like three cars and an old farm truck. And as we went around them, Steve, 
all of a sudden the, I was going around them. I just thought it was an old truck that mm-hmm. was broke down or maybe just an old farmer going slow. It turned into the back of us. It hit our car out of nowhere and we rolled and it partially ejected my wife, Teresa, <sighs> and broke my back in the accident. Mm. And I'll never forget that life light helicopter coming down. And I knew everything was everything was about to change. And I looked at my wife hanging it partially in and out of that car. And I thought, oh, my God, what has happened? Mm. Man. We were building up to something really. We were we were everything was beginning to change. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, just in a beautiful, sunny day with mm. a mile long straightaway, it ended up that Teresa's um, back. Uh, she had a traumatic brain injury and she was left quadriplegic. Mm. My back was severely broken. And this is just two days after Thanksgiving. Wow. And um, it, it shattered everything. And I don't know how to put into words how it, um, I was wrecked. Yeah. I ended up, uh, I ended up wrecked. She was in the hospital in Kansas City. And I began to fall apart again. Mm. Man. I ended up in prison and I gave my life to Jesus there. That's where things began to change. Wow. Man, you lied. Gee whiz. So, folks, as you can hear, this uh, Pastor Jamie's life is a journey. And what we're going to go ahead and do, and I know as much as you guys, you you can see on the timer of your whatever you're using to listen to this podcast that we're going to be cutting it. But what we're actually going to do is a part one and a part two because it's really important to get his story out because I really want people to know you could be at your lowest and turn to God and God can, can use you if you surrender to him and the stories that he, Jamie's going to share in this next part, it's going to be powerful. And so I want you to share this, make sure you share this episode with friends, family, Everyone you know, especially those who may be down and out, this is a message that needs to be heard by everyone. And, you know, Jamie, thanks for hanging in there for this first part. And, uh, of course, as far as the podcast studio goes, we're going to do a pause here in a few minutes, and we're going to jump right in and do part two. And uh, we'll get those done because it's, it's beautiful. I thank you, brother, for what you shared. Also, thank you what you shared for me as well because it is nice to hear okay so i'm out here showing the love of jesus christ but how is it being received from other people years later so you're seeing seeds being planted you're seeing the fruit of it years down the road and how god used me to play a part in jamie's life as well and uses his grandmother his mother and all these different people so it's powerful so jamie i'm going to have you close in prayer and yes, then uh, I'll say my little spill, and we'll uh, wrap this one up. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for mm. another beautiful day of life. Yes. And Lord, I don't know where somebody is right now that may be listening to this, but I want them to know that whether they're going through something, their husband, their wife, their child, a friend, mm. a loved one, that all things are possible through Christ yes. who strengthens me. That with God, all things are possible. Mm -hmm. And all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall not be ashamed. Mm -hmm. That, Lord God, there is hope in the midst of the darkness. There is hope at at the hospital bedside. There is hope in the jail cell. There is hope at the scene of a terrible crime. There is hope everywhere that Jesus is and Jesus is everywhere. Mm. May it be heavenly father today that this story of mine, which I've told kind of haphazardly, but I, I, it's from my heart would help someone to see that, that it's not over. Mm. 
not with there's Jesus, there's hope. That's right. Father God, bless them, help them, and use this story, Lord God, to change somebody's heart. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, there you have it, folks. Part one. Thank you, Jamie, for being on the show. We look forward to part two together. Hey, folks, powerful message. Listen, I want to hear some feedback. Jamie wants to hear some feedback. You know, this is going to be reaching all around the world, and we want to make sure that uh, we get it out there for others to hear. And so with that being said, hey, folks, remember, don't forget to get over to YouTube, subscribe, and uh, any podcast app. Share this with your friends. You know, I've always say I always make these statements like this, but this is an important statement. If you haven't listened to any of my podcasts, if you haven't shared any of my podcasts and you've listened to this entire part one, I'm encouraging you to share it with other people as well as be looking for part two, because part two is going to show you where the fruit in his life is growing so with that being said hey brother jamie love you man looking forward to doing a part two and uh with that being said hey folks god bless you all take care of yourselves love you peace